Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. All right, you guys ready to start our new series, Rumble Strip? We ready? So there are two um, main areas that incite fights in the Golden household, and particularly with my wife, more than any other areas. And I know I talk about this a lot, but it's just what's going on um, in our house. We're married. We do fight sometimes, and so it weaves its way into every message series. So um, the, first, the first thing that causes fights, and if you've got little kids, maybe um, you can go old school and amen me. Did anybody grow up with uh, In All God's People Said? And they did that. Okay, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I taught that to my kids just because I think it's funny. So I'll just say that in random places and they'll um, yell it out in the store. Um, but so, so you can amen me with what I'm about to say. But um, nobody causes fights or incites fights um, more than your kids in your marriage. Like one of the things that Nicole and I have had to try to learn is we get into these fights and about a third of the way through or two thirds of the way through, we realize like the enemy is not you. Our kids have baited us into turning on one another, but the issue is really with them. But you know, you get so exasperated, you've got misplaced anger and misplaced angst, and it comes out at your spouse. And really, we have to remind ourselves, we are not the enemy. Um, Maybe some of my marriage advice for whatever it's worth today is you might be in some dysfunction, right? It might not be your spouse, and you need to keep your eye on the real enemy. And that is your kids. They want to steal, and they want to kill, and they want to destroy destroy and you need to divide and conquer and overcome them with the power of Jesus and save your marriage. Can I get an amen in the house? Am I know what I'm talking about? That's just truth. That's me just spitting truth right there. The um, second area where, um, and there is literally a pepperoni on the stage. Okay, so, all right. Um, so the second area that's unbelievably awkward. Second area is um, Nicole's driving. That incites fights in the Golden Household. I've talked about this before. When we got married within the first four weeks of meeting, not exaggerating, pastors probably lie a lot, but this is a true story. She got in three accidents the first four weeks that I knew her. One of them was with the school bus. And so I literally, and this is no joke, because you know, you're not that invested at this point. I, I had like this crisis for about a week because I really liked her, but I thought, is she special enough to outweigh the insurance premiums that I am going to have if I keep going down the road with this girl? You know what I'm saying? No, and that's relevant. If you're in the first week, you need to consider all of that stuff. Like, is this financially a viable option for me? And so I had to think like, is she, is she special? Is she that kind of special that... Um, and, and she was, but, um, but, but she constantly, that's a huge, it's still like she's gotten in less accidents, but she's not a good driver. I mean, just straight up. And so we'll be driving and there's nothing like, and this is where I'm going to tie this all in. Um, there's nothing like driving, like when we're going to Disney on the weekends and I'm maybe studying for like message or I'm looking over my notes. And so I'm in the passenger seat and it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. We will yell at some point during um, the hour drive. And the, my biggest thing is when she, I don't even know what she's doing, but she gets off onto those rumble strips 
and about 35 of them before we get over back onto the road. I'm like, what are you doing that it takes you two miles to hear the rumble strips and realize that is not where I'm supposed to drive and get the car back onto the road? And it's just annoying. It causes fights every single time. It happened recently. I spilt my coffee on my notes. It's loud, and it's just annoying. I mean, that ruined our whole day, honestly, is her driving on the rumble strips. And so, um, but my point... My point is this, is that people knew what they were doing when they made, because people like Nicole need rumble strips on the side of the road, right? And and so here's the definition. I'm going to tell you more about rumble strips than you want um, to really know, but I'm just going to set this up. But here's the definition of rumble strip. You still with me? A system, and I heard some of you dudes amening, which that's That was not smart, I'm just telling you. Um, A system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas, okay? So so here's the thing about rumble strips. They can't save you, you know, obviously. They can't change you or change how you drive. They just reveal the fact that you're a bad driver. But they can redirect you and protect you at some level um, before you go off the rails. And here's the thing about a rumble strip. A rumble strip is always in the safety zone. Pretty much. I mean, unless you run over a guy who's changing his tire. But generally, they're in the safety zone, not in the danger zone, right? So if you run over the rumble strips, there's no damage, generally. They're really, you're not out anything. And the whole deal is to make you aware when you hit the rumble strip so that you don't hit the wall or drive your, your car into a ditch. And so my whole point as we set up this series is we don't just need rumble strips on the side of the road that like literally with what I'm going to connect here, we need rumble strips in regard to our life in the areas that matter most. Now, here's the thing I'm going to tell you. I'm going to talk a lot about culture. And when I say culture, here's what I mean. I'm all about culture. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're actually culture shapers. We haven't been called to distance ourselves, but engage culture. But when I talk about culture, I mean cultural thinking and mindsets. And here's what I would tell you is that culture doesn't give you any help with this. Meaning they're not a big fan of life rumble strips as I'm about to talk about them. And in fact, like, let's just take the area of sex. Like a cultural rumble strip around sex is, hey, um, just wait till you're ready. Well, guess what? You go to ask a 15-year-old boy when he thinks he's ready, guess when it is? Around 15 or probably earlier than that is when he was ready. Like, that doesn't really help you, right? Like, just when you're ready is, okay. Uh, Like, the other, like, cultural rumble strip that's not a rumble strip is just follow your heart. Okay, that's the dumbest advice anybody's ever given. How many things have you leased following your heart or emotions or people that you've dated that you shouldn't have? Like, that's not really great advice. And so a rumble strip, let me define it one more way, is simply this, a standard that becomes a matter of conscience. It's not even about right and wrong. In fact, let me quote Solomon. Solomon was um, considered the wisest man in the world, didn't follow any of his own advice. So he's like, hey, I'm going to write this stuff. I didn't do any of this, but you should because it didn't end well for me. And, and Solomon said this in Proverbs 27, 12. And this was such a big deal for us. It's going to come up here in a second. Such a big deal for us that we had this at our wedding. And I memorized the verse, so I'll just tell you. Um, that the prudent see danger, there it is, or literally translated the wise, wise people see danger, and they do what? They take refuge. So, so literally, wise people create a system that reveals danger before it's too late. 
And it has nothing to do with, is it right or wrong? In fact, what I'm about to talk about bypasses the issue of right or wrong, because there's a bunch of stuff that you could do that nobody's going to call you on it. That's not illegal. It's not a right and wrong thing. I mean, you couldn't declare black and white, like that's wrong. But you know, in some cases for you or for your relationship or, or for, you know, in light of your dreams for the future, that that thing may not be the best option for you. It's wise. It's not right or wrong. It's just wise. Basically, I would say it this way, or this is the question. In every area of my life, and specifically the areas that matter most, what is the wise thing to do considering my struggles, my circumstances, and my dreams for the future? Because here's the, here's the problem, man, and is that so many of us, we don't know that until it's too late. Like we, we eventually sniff out danger, but it's after we've already moved past the rumble strips and toward the wall. And so we need a, a system. See, nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, you know, I just, wanna, I just wanna start wrecking part of my life today. I, I wanna start sabotaging my marriage. I'll, I'll start today or Tuesday. I, I wanna start creating a relationship with my adult kids so in a decade, none of them are gonna wanna come home for Christmas. Nobody gets up and does that. Nobody plans to wreck their life. We just don't plan not to. And, and generally it happens with a bunch of seemingly insignificant, it's not wrong, it's not illegal, it's not bad, nobody's gonna call me on it, everybody's doing it, and we just keep ignoring them, and all of a sudden one day we crash some area of our life against the wall. And I would say, because we don't live in this space of wisdom and we don't have some rumble strips that can redirect us and protect us when we start to go off the rails before it's too late. And maybe that's, that's um, not any more true than it is in the area of, of relationships and sex. And again, culture is not going to give you any, any help with this. Like there's nowhere in culture where somebody is discipling you. I think outside of the church, though we don't always do a good job of this, and outside what Jesus taught, nobody's discipling you like, hey, this is how you remain faithful in your marriage. You're not getting a lot of help with that. That this is how you stay committed to really contribute toward future intimacy and toward future relationships. It's just not happening. So what would it look like in the areas that matter most and what I wanna talk about today, the area of sex and relationships. And if you brought your kids in here, you should have checked them in as CC kids. But in the area of sex and relationships, like how do we create rumble strips in those areas? Now, I just wanna say this. And I, every time I talk about sex, I say this. Like, because the church has messed so much of this up. And I did a whole series that you can go back and listen to if you want called Swipe Right. But, but come on, let's just say what you know or if you don't believe this, this is what we believe. God created this. Okay, God created sex. I need to set this up before I go anywhere because there's so much misunderstanding. God created, and he didn't just create it for procreation. And I'm a big fan. Number four is on the way. I I'm all about, I'm making, uh, I'm contributing to that. But it is about intimacy and it is about pleasure. Let's, I just want to go old school today. So just say amen again in the house. God created sex for pleasure. If you don't believe me and you're not uncomfortable yet, you're about to be uncomfortable. Listen to what Song of Solomon says. He writes a whole book on sex. You should read it. And about intimacy, he says this, how beautiful are your sandaled feet, princess. He's talking to his girl and, and it's, the curves of your thighs are like jewelry, the handiwork of a master. Come on, player. Verse two, your navel is a rounded bowl. I don't understand that. It never lacks mixed wine and your waist, not suggesting you use this, is a mound of wheat surrounded by lilies. But for some of you, listen, if you wanna up your sexting game with your spouse, Solomon has got you. So. 
And then verse three, your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, down to verse seven. Your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are clusters of fruit. That's not the Greek transliteration for Bible. When he says breasts, he's just talking about breasts. Verse eight, and I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of his fruit. You uncomfortable yet? And may your breasts be like clusters of grapes and the fragrance of your breath like apricots. Come on, Solomon. Basically, what he's saying is this is a good and beautiful gift, and do not be mistaken, it is for pleasure. God manufactured it. God created it. God owns the patent on it. It was his idea. Man and woman, I'm going to create you naked. Go at it. I made this, and it's really good. It is the greatest form of worship this side of heaven. That's what really Jesus said. And so I say all that to say when Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. He's not saying flee from sex. He's saying this is a really good gift designed by God. But again, God manufactured it. And here's the thing with anything that is powerful, for God to create what he wanted to create out of sex, which was a, a linking and a connection of souls, he had to make it powerful. But the only downside about anything that is powerful and potent, if you take it outside of its original design or context, it can damage some stuff. Like fire can, you know, cook your food and it can burn down your house. And the thing is, though, we, we have this idea that somehow God is trying to keep us from something in the area of relationships and sex. And, and in fact, the two most talked about things in the scripture is money and sex. The, Jesus talks about those two things more than anything else. What's, what I find interesting is they're the two most ignored teachings in all of the New Testament. And so Jesus says, listen, I, I have something for you. I, I'm not trying to take something from you. And in any other area of our life, we understand that with anything that's powerful. Like you go to Home Depot and rent a chainsaw and they give you the manual. You're not like, Home Depot hates me. No, Home Depot is like, I don't want you to chop off your arm. Follow the instructions to use the chainsaw, right? So here's the thing. Sex is pleasurable, we cannot say that enough, and it is powerful. And God's going, I, I have something for you in your relationships, in your life, but, but I, I need you to follow me in this. And in many cases, there's those of us who've gone off the rails or we watch other people go off the rails with their relationships or around something involving sexuality. And it's because at the end of the day, they didn't have any rumble strips. There wasn't anything in place in terms of wisdom where they could sniff out danger before they got too far down the road. And come on, let me just say this and then we'll, we'll dive into where I wanna go. If we could just, just factor out the God thing if you're not there right now, this is just, a, I think, kind of a common sense thing. If we could just get this one thing right in culture, it would change everything. There'd be less poverty. There would be less unplanned pregnancies. There would be less kids in foster care. There would be, um, on and on it goes, less domestic violence. Like, if we got this one thing right, it has the power. This is how powerful it is to change everything. In fact, some of you know that because if some people that, that you were around or you were raised by, if they, if they would have handled the issue of sexuality differently, it would have changed everything for your life, right? And so, like, it is so unbelievably powerful. And again, what we're about to look at with Paul, Paul's like, hey, make no mistake, God wants great sex, 
God created this for intimacy. Climb the palm tree. I don't know what that means, but it sounds erotic. Whatever Solomon's talking about, like go after it. But, but realize that, man, God's designed it a certain way. And, and like, what would you do? What would you do? What would you be willing to do to protect your relationships? And not even your relationships. What would you, what would you do to protect your future intimacy? What if you actually believe that God, even in the area of my sexual satisfaction, he cares about that? Some of you never even heard that before. And so what would it look like if you loved you and you manufactured you and you created the gift of intimacy and sex and you knew how it best worked? Like, what would you say to you? And so Paul sits down and he writes inspired by God and he writes honestly to a twist, twisted sexual culture, um, even by today's standards. You go back, read these letters that he wrote to this place called Corinth is out of control. So he says, listen, this may seem crazy, but 1 Corinthians six eighteen, flee from sexual immorality. Don't flee from sex, but flee from sexual immorality, which means sexual expression outside of God's design, outside of covenant relationship. And again, I think Paul's like, okay, before you think I'm all crazy, I mean, everybody kind of agrees with this at some level. Like, this is what any dad wants for his daughter. This is what any brother wants for his sister that he cares about. This is what any friend wants for a really good friend. They, they don't want things to go off the rails. They don't want to see you destroy a relationship or, or get to this place where you see you in a way that's not accurate. And so Paul says, that's why I'm telling you, flee from sexual immorality. But here's the thing, in our culture, cultural thinking, we don't flee, we tend to flirt with. And, and here's the thing, and I'm not trying to be that guy, but everything that we get inundates us with a message from what we binge with on Netflix and what we listen to and a lot of times what we read. And it's all giving us this mindset around sexuality and in many cases kind of treating it in this cavalier way. But here's the thing about culture is that it will bait you into certain ways of thinking and then shame you when you give into those ways of thinking. It'll bait you to go, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's not that big a deal, it's not that big a deal. We laugh about it all the time. And then you actually do what you see portrayed all the time. And they're the first to get in line to go, what is up with you, bro? And so that's why, that's why Paul's going, flee this because it, it's, it's a big deal. You need some rumble strips in this area. And then he says this, what's the word right here? All other sins, pause. And I just want to say this real quick because because some of you have gotten so much bad teaching around this, what he's about to say, all of their sins. Can we just acknowledge this, that there is no sexual sin, there is no sexual dysfunction, and there is no sexual identity that pushes you outside of the reach of God's love and God's grace. And, and all throughout Jesus' life, you should just go study this, he was constantly moved in the direction of the sexual outcast because he said, when I came to bring good news to all people, guess what? That meant all people. In the Greek, it means all people. It means every kind of person. Social outcast, sexual outcast, political outcast, they are all invited in. And Jesus didn't change what he believed. He was just straight up about, here's the way to life, but I didn't come to shame you because shame's gonna be handled on the cross. Condemnation nation's going to be handled on the cross. I'm coming with my kindness to go, hey, hey, I can set you free even in the area of sexuality, and I have something better for you, and I love you. And so when, he, when, when Paul says all other sins, if you, I, I got to say one more thing on this. If you've grown up in a church culture and around a message that constantly connects shame to sex, that is not what you find in the New Testament. 
The only time there's shame connected with it is when we take it off of the rails. And I'm telling you, regardless of where you've been in this area, you have a savior that is inviting you back and inviting you into something better. And he is not doing it on the basis of shame and condemnation. And so Paul says all other sins, meaning not the degree of sin. Listen, in church culture where you go home in some domineering way, treat your wife like crap, that's, that's equal in the eyes of Jesus. Sexual sin is not elevated to some different degree. But what Paul's saying is there, is there is a severity to it, not because of God's judgment or forgiveness or grace, but just because he made it so powerful. And when you take it outside of its context, it's unlike anything else. And again, a lot of you know this, whether you're radio, podcaster, or you're in the room, and you don't even have to believe in God to believe this. There's something about our sexual past that has a way of staying with us unlike anything else. It has a way of going with us into other relationships, and it has a way of making us even feel about ourselves ways that, that aren't right. I think here's the other thing about it. Let's just, let's just talk straight up. There's something about... Um, sex and, and something going off the rails sexually, that, that it leads a lot of people to be baited into being liars and secret keepers, I think, unlike anything else. Because we're so, like, it, it's so easy to give up, like, oh, I'm just, you know, whatever, I got high, and then I was addicted for a while, and then this happened, and that happened. And people are much more likely to divulge those things than they are their sexual past. And we get into relationships and then it's kind of too far down the road. I don't know if I can tell them that or we tell them half the story. And it's just, it just baits people into becoming secret keepers and secrets grow in the dark. And so Paul's saying, this is not an issue of forgiveness or grace or God's mercy. I'm just talking about God's design. You need to flee from sexual immorality outside of how God made this to work because all other sins a person commits are outside of his body. But this is so powerful. But whoever sins sexually, let me explain this. Sins against, what's the two words? Their own body. But whoever, you don't have to be so tense. It's, it's going to end good, okay? Uh, but whoever sins sexually sins against, there is no room that gets more quiet than when you start talking about sex. It just is what it is. Whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Let me just, here's how sin is divine in the New Testament. And I wish some of you had grown up with this. Here's what sin is. Sin is hurting someone, sin is stealing from someone, and sin is dishonoring someone. Sin is a big deal, not because of God's condemnation. How many times can I talk about the gospel in one message? God handled condemnation at the cross. God handled shame at the cross. God paid back at the cross, one time for all time. Sin is a big deal, not because of any of those things. Sin is a big deal because we are made in the image of God. And sin is a big deal because when you sin, which means take something outside of God's design, you hurt you and you hurt someone else around you. Like with my kids, the thing that, that incites more angst to me than anything else is when somebody else hurts my kids. Like you can do just about anything else, but when you start messing with my kids, it does something to me as a dad. And here's why... In destructive church cultures that maybe some of you grew up with, it was so bad because, because you could practice all of these rituals and then treat people around you like crap, and then people called you spiritual. But the litmus test of understanding Jesus' love is literally how you love those around you. Like Jesus, when he finished it all on Easter weekend, he said, I'm about to change the game. 
rituals and rules are gonna end forever and now you're just gonna have this ethic of love. And by the way, it's much more difficult. It's actually easier to set a, a standard of rules and rituals and live up to those. But when you start talking about love, it opens the door to everything where now there's no loopholes and workarounds and you can't circumvent. You have to ask the question, what does love demand of me? And so throughout the scripture, sin isn't about condemnation or anger. Sin is a big deal because it keeps you from loving you and it keeps you from loving other people around you. And Jesus said, now because of what I've done, this is the only thing you need to remember. I want you to love me and I want you to love you and I want you to love the people around you. And when you sin, you hurt them and you hurt you and you hurt your heavenly father. And that's why sin is a big deal. It's why sexual sin really could be defined this way. It's just hurting someone else sexually. It's just diminishing somebody else's sexual experience. It's getting to a place where you create regret for somebody else. And listen, let, let me just be really honest. If you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to listen to a thing I'm saying. I have no right to tell you how to, to live or what to do sexually. If you've never signed on to the Jesus thing, you're not accountable. But Jesus followers, listen, as best we can, we shouldn't show up as a story in somebody's future counseling. Because when we sin sexually, we hurt them and we hurt us, we hurt other people around us. And so when you take something sexually from someone else, you sin against them. Well, why is that a big deal? Because Jesus said, it's all about love. I want you to know how much I love you even when you stumble. And I want you to know how much I've given you worth. And I want you to know how much I love other people around you. And so that's why this is a big deal. Sin is a big deal, not because God is angry, but because God is hurt and God wants you to love you and love others around you and sin gets in the way of that and so he says whoever sins actually sins against their own body and this is why it's a big deal and then verse 19 i love this do you not know and literally paul's writing to this corinthians church and he's like i don't think you guys knew so i'm just going to fill you in i think talking about this and i think god has special grace for this in our culture i think there's a bunch of people who go i just, I just didn't know i just i just literally didn't know do you not know oh this is this will preach this is so good do you not know, you still with me? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Oh, help me to preach this good. Who is in you, whom you have received from who? So he, here's, here's what he's saying here. Let's just teach for a second. He's moving away from consequence and toward identity. That, that this is really the heart of the matter. It is about identity. Here's the reality about any counselor will tell you this. Sexual whatever generally has nothing to do with sex. It, most of the time it has everything to do with self-medicating something else that you haven't identified. And now your outlet is porn, your outlet is an affair, your outlet is whatever, but it has everything to do with self-medicating. And the reason that most people won't move toward trying to give those things up is because when you do, things actually get more painful for a season because you lose what you are self-medicating with. And you literally have to feel the weight of that for a little while to begin to come out from under it and begin to find freedom. But it is very difficult initially and so we, we run after some kind of sexual thing because maybe we weren't enough. We don't think we have what it takes. It doesn't matter anymore. Some other thing where we just feel like we are missing something. And so Paul comes along to go, your bodies, this is an identity thing. They are temples of the Holy Spirit and the spirit of God is in you whom you have received from God, meaning you are a sacred image bearer. 
Let me take you back to Easter weekend when Jesus was on the cross and said, it is finished. Some dramatic thing happened where the temple curtain, which represented the literal presence of God, the holiness of God, God's presence resided in that temple and it was broken off by a curtain because nobody but the high priest could go in there. And when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, that curtain tore from top to bottom and it opened the way to signify to everybody that now you can have a relationship with God and the most sacred place in the world doesn't hold a candle to you because now you are sacred because you don't go to a place to find the presence of God. You are housing the presence of God. You are a temple of God. You are loved. You are accepted. You are worthy. You are secure. And there is no sexual sin that can undo that because it is in you and it's on you. It's your identity and you can't escape your identity. And so he says, hey, followers of Jesus, Jesus, listen up to me for a second. The most sacred place that you can imagine means nothing. You are the most sacred thing imaginable because the spirit of God and the power of God is inside of you. And you have been perfectly designed for intimacy and you're sacred. It's economics 101. It's the value of something is determined by the price it brings. You can put whatever you want on Facebook Marketplace. If nobody's buying it, that's the worth of that thing. But what somebody's willing to pay, that gives it its value. And he's going, you're worth Jesus because Jesus gave up his life to redeem you. And the moment you said yes to him and placed your faith and trust in him, you were invaded by the spirit of God and the power that raised Christ from the dead. Never forget that you are a sacred bearer of the image of the creator God of the universe. And he's like, you didn't know that? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? We have a whole, whole bunch of people in culture and sitting in churches they just don't know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, who you receive from God, and you're, end of the verse, you're not your own because ownership determines value. You're redeemed by your heavenly Father. You're not your own. Verse 20, you were bought at a price. Meaning when Jesus went to the cross, he's going, I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can, go to incredible lengths to let you know that I'm for you in spite of you. What else is it going to take? You have a cross that stands in history that Jesus was willing to shed his blood on. That's how much I'm for you, even in spite of you. So follow me into freedom because I bought you with a price. And therefore, honor God. This is so weird if you've never seen it before. Therefore, honor God with what? your bodies. Worship God with your bodies. Anytime you go, God, you designed it this way. I'm going to use it the way you designed it. Literally, it reflects worship back to the creator to go, yeah, yeah, that's good. Worship God, honor God with your bodies. So here's the question. I'm going to give you a couple practical things, and then we're going to be done. Um, what are your sexual rumble strips? 
And I, I did a whole series on sex. You can go back and listen to that. I want a very narrow focus right now. But, but what are they? And what in your life or around you is helping you in this area? of I want to remain faithful in my marriage. I want to remain integrity with my kids as they grow older. I, I want, I'm not going to get it all right, but I, I, want, I want to see this thing to the finish line. Or maybe I've already had some busted up relationships, and so I want to do it different in the future. Like, what, what are your sexual rumble strips? So let me just give you a couple things. Here's the first thing I would say. You just need to talk about it. And some of you, you're going to tune me out for a second. That's fine. I hope you'll come back to this. I'm not asking you to adopt any of the things I've adopted. This isn't a rule or a law. It's based on me, my family, my marriage. I know I need some rumble strips. I'm not saying my rumble strips or your rumble strips, but you need something. So you just need to talk about it. What have you put in place around the areas of wisdom other than just, hey, there's some things that we shouldn't do and hopefully it ends well. Like what? What is it? Let me just give you a couple, really practical, and we'll be done. And some of these you may think is crazy. Um, for Nicole and I, we decided on a couple things at the very beginning of our marriage. We won't travel or have a meal alone with the opposite sex generally. And if we get into a weird situation where we got left somewhere or whatever, we will immediately, as weird as it, we'll call one another to go, hey, here's the situation. I just want to make you aware. And it's not that we've done anything wrong. No line has been crossed. It's a rumble strip. It, there, is, there is really no damage or limited damage that's done, but what it does is it feels like a conscience thing, even though it's not right or wrong. It's just a wisdom thing. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's not immoral. It is a rumble strip, and it's better to hit a rumble strip than to drive your relationship into a wall. So what is it for you? Okay, so here's what I would say. Beware of problematic people. You're like, well, who's problematic people? You already know. You already, and I'm not saying an indictment on that person. It may have nothing to do with that person. It may have everything to do with you, but you already know because that thing happens inside of you every time you walk across their cubicle. That thing happens that causes you to go to the other side of the office to move in their direction. That thing happens where something rises up where you feel like you can't tell somebody else about it, which is a telltale sign. You know who problematic people are and you just need to be aware. And, and that's part of a rumble strip. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's wise. Like, so many times I've had to tell people at certain times along the way, like, hey, they're coming to me for counseling or something, and I'm like, I can't counsel you, ever. Like, I'm never going to be able to counsel you in your life. Have a good day. Like, that's very difficult because that, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and I've had to hurt feelings before, but there was something about it, or there was something that Nicole, and I don't know if this is this way with you, but when your wife or somebody, like, says something, you just, you should just listen to it. And so, in that instance, like, it was just a rumble strip for me. I can't. We can help you. I can't help you. I hate to hurt your feelings, but listen, that's a rumble strip. I, I, I may have hurt somebody's feelings, but that's better than me crashing my relationship into the wall. That is momentary. It's a little spilled coffee, but at the end of the day, it's not really going to matter in my life, right? So, so who is that in your life? Now, I just want to say this. This can hurt women if it is misapplied, and it can hurt upward mobility. That's usually because it's taken out of context in ministry environments. I do not adhere to that whatsoever, and it may look different for your industry, so I'm not telling you to adopt this. I'm just telling you and asking you, what is your rumble strips? Here's the other one. Um, if we have a regular rhythm of conversation with friends and a counselor, we, we pay attention to fatigue, emotionally draining seasons, extreme highs or lows, because how many of you know this? When you get into a season like that, you can be so um, vulnerable, not because, you know, by your choice of will, but just because of what's going on around you, where you are weak to consider things that you would have never considered in a previous season. 
So you need to figure out what, what are those triggers for you. This last week, Nicole and I went to counseling, not because anything was off the rails, but because we've gone through an unbelievably emotionally draining season that can make people vulnerable, can make marriages vulnerable. Now, full disclosure, on Tuesday, we had a schedule. I got up. I did not want to go. I was too busy, scheduled for another day. Nothing's flying off the rails. And then we got into a huge fight. And I'm like, Tuesday is a really good day to go to counseling. And so we went to counseling on Tuesday. So I just want to be, and I didn't share this at the nine, and I don't know if Nicole is going to be. Halfway through the conversations, I realized they had kind of something going on with one another. And then she divulged the information that she had sent a couple things ahead of time to him that she felt like we needed to discuss in the counseling session. And so I'm going to add that in there. Do not sabotage your spouse in counseling, and they're not going to come back. So, um, but you need a regular rhythm, whatever that is. And, and let me just say this. I kind of said already. When you feel your heart drift, you need to tell somebody. When you feel your heart drift, you need to tell somebody. Not because you've done anything right or wrong, but listen, when you speak it in a lot of cases, you diffuse it. And secrets grow in the dark. And so when you feel it in any way, find somebody, and I am saying find your spouse, find somebody that you can talk to about it, who can follow up with you. It's why community groups are so huge. This is our last day for spring community groups. You need to go get in a group, whether you're single looking at future relationships or you're in a relationship right now, it's one of the best gifts that you can give. So I'm just saying, what is your rumble strip? Number three, we share direct messages on social media or texts that are outside the ordinary. We're just going, hey, look at this. This is kind of weird. This is out of the ordinary. That may seem really extreme to you, but I'm just going to go really hard and unapologetic on this. Social media is a gateway drug. And it ha maybe even more so than face-to-face, -face, you begin to idealize the highlight reel for somebody else. And you begin to romanticize them, and you don't even really know them. And the bottom line is if you were to take somebody else and put them into that home with what's going on in those four kids, they would not look nearly as sexy as they do through the Instagram filter right now. <laughs> and it's just the reality that social media is a gateway drug. And, you need, and listen, I'll just tell you, we've had so many friends fly off the rails as a result of social media. And I'm great. I'm not anti-social media. We use it. It's, it can be an incredible gift. It's not worth your marriage. It's not worth your relationship. You need to shut that thing down, shut it down. You need to get a filter on it, put a filter on it. We've watched people in ministry doing what we're doing and everything ended because of a direct message. And listen, I just want to tell you this. I know this is heavy and hard, but this is going to help some people. And I'm, just, I'm going to be done. The enemy always uses forbidden fruit. That, that's his tactic from the very beginning. The Garden of Eden, God said, you got all this stuff. You can just have sex with one another every single day. The animals, the food, it's amazing. It's good wine. Just enjoy it. There's one tree. I don't want you to touch this because I want to prove to you that submission to God is good. And what happened was the enemy baited them into forbidden fruit that that one thing of everything that they could have started to look really good, started to look really sexy to them. And they started to go after it because that's how the enemy wants to play you. And he wants you to have sex before covenant relationship, and he wants you to stop having sex after, and he wants to constantly bait you into other things and other people that you idealize even if it's not real, because he's always using forbidden fruit. Don't spend this season chasing what wasn't worth catching once you caught it. And then the fourth one is we just help each other out. I don't know what this looks like for you, so um, our first year of marriage, um, I... 
got, I, I subscribe to SI, and so you know they have the SI swimsuit edition that comes out. Uh, my wife headed that thing off at the mailbox our first year of marriage. I've never seen that thing, um, thankfully. But, and, now, and now it's turned into a somewhat sociopathic ritual where she will burn it. She will cut it up. I don't know if this is like kind of just for all women or what it is, but like there's this huge ritual that she goes through. But literally, like she's helping me out. And I think you need to give the freedom to help one another out. Like, you probably don't need the Victoria's Secret catalog. Well, I'm looking for a Valentine's gift. For 10 months, probably you're not. So, like, you need to help each other. I don't know where that came from. You need to help each other out. So I need to end this, but here's what I want to tell you. It's better to hit a bump than it is to crash your life into a wall. And you know this already, it is not, I hope I've made this clear, it's not an issue of God's grace and God's forgiveness, but there's some decisions that are irreparable. You can't get them back and God can put it back together and, and he can heal some stuff, but, but sin causes stuff to, to die or it hurts things, it causes damage. And so what are your rumble strips? And they may be unique to you. I'm not telling you to adopt what I do and we've got some others that we do, but I'm just saying, what is it for you in light of your past your struggles, because you're unique, your, your relationship is unique, and in light of your dreams for your future. Listen, don't adopt the same standards as those who don't have the same dreams. In fact, in some cases, if I can speak really honestly, there's going to be people, when you start to adopt certain things in your life or family, that they will be threatened because they want to pull you back into what is comfortable for them. But they haven't been called the same way that you have. They may not have the, the will that God has for your life, the destiny that God has for your life. And nobody is going to care as much about your marriage and your kids as you do. So don't adopt their standards. Don't adopt their, and they may be fine for them, but they don't have the same dreams. They don't have the same calling. All of us have been called to something different. And so as we end, what sexual rumble strip are you running over right now? Or if you had one, you would be running over it. And what sexual rumble strip should you start adopting? And the thing is, as crazy as this may seem to you, nothing in culture is gonna help you with this. I think this is why the church is the hope of the world and we get a lot wrong, but when it centers around the message of Jesus, the message of Jesus has to, a way to make your life better in a way that nothing else can. But nobody's gonna help you with this. And here's what I know, if I go off the rails in this area, I hurt a lot of people. But the same is true with you. And so, so what is it? And what would it look like to live wise where you were a prudent person that bypassed right and wrong and said, what is the wise thing to do so that I can see danger before it gets here? And I can take refuge with my kids, with my future intimacy, with my girlfriend, my boyfriend, with my husband, with my wife in light of the calling that God has for my future. What would it look like for me to do that? And then let me end with this. Do not believe the lie of too late. Do not believe the lie of too late. Do not believe the lie of too late. It was too late on Easter weekend when Jesus was already dead and in a tomb and there was no life in his body. And then on Sunday, he came walking up out of that tomb and we serve a resurrected Jesus and he can resurrect any relationship. He can resurrect any dream. He can undo any hurt. He can put back together anything that is broken. 
We do not serve some ethereal JV God. We serve a resurrected King that says, if I walked out of a grave when it seemed too late, there is nothing that is too late for you. And so wherever you are today, and no matter what has gone down in the past, your Savior or your Savior, if you would embrace him today, says, I've got a better way, and I love you, and I never stopped loving you, and it is not too late for you. Move in my direction. Follow me. And if you would, just stand with me all over the house, and I want to end with this verse and just quote the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. And Jesus in another place said this, if you follow my teaching, you're going to discover truth. And that truth, even around the area of sex and relationships, that truth is going to set you free. I will give you rest because you are a sacred image bearer. Would you just pray with me all over the house? And if you're online via radio or podcast, I'd love for you to join me. Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for what you're doing in this moment and for how you're moving in this place. I know for some of us, there's, there's so many stories and there's so many complexities and I don't understand all those and I understand that, but you do. And so I just pray that what would be heard, even if it feels a little bit like a syringe at first, that Lord, you would quickly move people to hope, to know that, that your message, regardless of our past, it is freeing and it is life-giving. And you give us the courage to make the decisions today that we need to make, to take the steps that we need to make. And that God, you would begin to do something even in this area where we would ultimately say, and this is what it's an issue of, God, I trust you. I submit my life to you and I wanna live wise to see danger before it gets here and take refuge and fulfill your divine destiny from my life and even what you want in my relationships and sexuality. And so we pray this, we hope this, we expect this all in the death-defying, resurrecting name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.